0: For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through formal association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and we are no better off if we do. But we take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, he will not be encouraged. If his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols, and so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother from whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This is the word of our Lord.
1: We began a series, I think, last year in the book of 1 Corinthians, and um We are going to pick that up, uh, and uh, that's why we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning in a passage that may strike you as a bit unusual and a bit different. And so um, uh, I want to, uh, before I jump into that, thank Adrian for uh, preaching on the fly last week. I went and listened to it online. What a great message. Thank you, Adrian, so much for doing that. Uh, This is a message that is uniquely appropriate for Grace Community Church, the message of 1 Corinthians 8. I want to ask you a question this morning. What if there is something that you feel freedom to do that you think isn't a sin to you, but someone else thinks it is? You can do it with freedom, to you it is not a sin, but someone else in your circle of friends or family, uh, work associates, see what you do, and to them it is sin. What should you do? should you quit doing whatever it is so as not to offend that person or should you in your freedom do what for you is not a sin though it may be for that person a sin and so we enter the gray area in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 And as we do, Paul uh, answers some questions that the Corinthians have asked him about this very issue. It is an issue that they bring up that would be foreign to us. Their question has to do with meat offered to idols. We're not familiar with that at all. We uh, haven't gone to any pagan temples here in Marion or Old I don't know of any that exist. Maybe they do, but we haven't gone to any pagan temples this week and watched them take an animal and sacrifice it and offer it to a god or to gods. But these Corinthians who came to faith in Christ did so out of a culture as a matter of fact, when Paul sailed into Corinth, all he had to do was look up on the hill behind the city, and when he did, he would see that massive temple and know that in that temple were all kinds of sacrifices offered to gods. It was so commonplace that it was basically the restaurant of the day. If you had any major celebration, it took place in that temple, and the food that was prepared there was food that had been offered to an idol. There were phases that uh, uh, they went through to prepare the food. There was the preparation phase uh, for this meal. There was the sacrifice, and then the feast that everyone ate. And if you did anything in Corinth, you participated in one of these Uh, There were three parts of the meal. There was the part burned before the God. There was the part given to the worshipers. And there was the part placed on the table for the God. And so this was a very involved ordeal in Corinth in Paul's day. This meat offered to idols. And this is what happened. People came to Christ. And when they did... They had this problem. Could they still go and eat that meat that had been offered to idols? Was that still okay? Or should they quit doing it? And so they wrote Paul and asked him about it. And out of this question comes an overarching principle that is still in effect today. Now we won't deal with meat offered to idols, but before we're finished this morning, we'll trek into some gray territory that some of you struggle with. There are some of you in this room who do things a certain way, and for you it is not sin, but for others in this room it is. And you wonder, can you do what you do? Should you do what you do? Here is the overarching principle that uh, Paul gives to the Corinthians. You'll want to jot this down. Love is always right. That's what he says. Love is always right. It is never wrong to show love to someone. Never. Never. Love is always right. Now, it's difficult for me to say that statement because I know that the word love gets tossed around all kinds of ways these days. There are some people in here who love LeBron James, right? Especially right now. It's, it's the finals and they love LeBron James. They don't even know the guy, but they love him, right? Right? Other people love Stephen Curry. Some of you love Mexican food. All right, so we use that word so loosely that when I say love is always right, you're thinking about uh, food or you're thinking about an NBA star. There are some of you who are in middle school and you're in love. You, you saw her last week and you're devastated that school's going to be over and you won't get to see her all summer except on the eight or nine platforms of social media. You fell in love. You've already told her you love her. You, you preceded that with little hearts on the text. Uh, that means a lot. And it will be followed by the word L-U-V. And then when it gets to L-O-V, it's the real deal. And so I know when I say the statement, love is always right, that you are hearing that going, oh, wow, mom, the preacher said it's, I've got to love her. Love is always right. So by the end, your idea of love could be dismantled a bit and reconstructed. But Paul does say in the very first out of the gate here, love is always right. He says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that, and in these passages, there are quotes, all of us possess knowledge. Where you see the quotes, he's quoting either their letter to him or a saying that has surfaced in the Corinthian church. All of us possess knowledge. What does he say about the knowledge? This knowledge puffs up. Is what he says. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love is always right because love builds up. Love is always right because love builds up. He says there is knowledge that puffs up, but love builds up. What is the difference between being puffed up and built up? To be puffed up is to be uh, like a toad frog, uh, full of air. All right, Uh, Aesop talked about the the toad that's full of air. Let me give you maybe an illustration that will help you understand it a little better. We have now entered the camping season, right? People go camping. My wife and I share in our disdain for camping. It has never made any sense to us why you take all the comforts of home, dumb them down, pay money to a place to sleep on their dirt, and call it fun. We, Both of us don't get that. We have never gotten it. But a few years ago, our whole family was going, so we decided to go. Uh, We caved to the peer pressure, and we all went camping over in Brevard somewhere. Well, we had an air mattress. Air mattresses are puffed up with air. You blow air into them, and so we blew air into our air mattress, and unbeknownst to us, our air mattress had a hole. So that by morning, when we woke up, we had gravel imprints in our backside. Now, Jeff and Nikki were on the trip, and they had Taj Mahal set up over there. Uh, they had bought Dick's out of everything Dick on, Dick's owned, and so they get up feeling wonderful. Coffee is made. Everything's great. I think they had a chandelier hanging in their tent. We get up, our nose rubbing against the tent, our backs full of gravel. Everybody's cheery. We're not. Why? Because we were in a puffed up mattress that was no longer puffed up. Sleep number is built up. Air mattresses are puffed up. That's the difference. Knowledge puffs you up and lets you down. Love builds you up and keeps you there. Do you get it? Knowledge puffs you up And you'll be proud for what you know until somebody else knows more than you. But love builds you up and leaves you there. And so, what was this knowledge? It was good knowledge, it wasn't bad stuff that they knew. Verse 4 is the knowledge. Uh, Let's read it. Therefore, As to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and there is no God but one. That's the knowledge. And that's good stuff to know. Idols are fake. That was the knowledge in the Corinthian church. These people had spent all of their existence offering up Uh, sacrifices to a bunch of fake gods who couldn't deliver. Paul comes in, tells them about the one true God who sent his only son as a sacrifice for their sins. They get this. This is great knowledge. These gods are fake. There is one real God. That is good knowledge until it puffed them up. How did it puff them up? Here's how it did it if these gods are fake, then it doesn't matter if you eat this food that has been offered to them. They're fake anyway. Uh, They have no control over the food. It's okay to eat the food. So you have some Christians who've been Christians for a while. They have this newfound freedom, which they enjoy. You have a new Christian in Corinth who comes to Christ And he's spooked by this food. Uh, It was offered as if the gods were really present. He doesn't feel freedom to eat the food. But here's a puffed up Christian who knows the gods are fake, knows the food is fine to eat, who tries to pressure him into eating it. And in his freedom trips up A new believer. That new believer hasn't reached that level of knowledge yet. And a more seasoned believer who knows, knows what to believe, ignores the immaturity of the weak believer and says, Oh, just come eat it anyway. It won't hurt you. It's okay. How in the world does this affect us today? Let me deal with some issues where we as a church experience freedom that many people in our county do not, and we get talked about for it. All right? I'm wearing blue jeans. My shirt is not tucked in. There are many people who think what I'm doing right now discounts completely the word of God that I'm teaching because I wear blue jeans and my shirt is not tucked in. All over the county, they think all kinds of things about us. In the 15 years that I've been here, the number of things I've heard said about us are unbelievable. Years ago, we did a project where kids brought change in and they dropped it in one of those change machine things in the lobby, a missions project. So it circulated through the community that in order to get in, you had to swap a card. It did. It was hilarious. The more recent rumor is that we, every new member gets a $100 gift card. All the people who have joined earlier are now angry <laughs> that they didn't get in on the new incentive program to join the church. The, uh, the rumors that circulate, uh, uh, John Kingsley said before he ever came to grace, He had heard so many bad things about the church that when our banners went up with the three circles, he was convinced that we were a cult, and the three circles represented something. He wasn't sure what, but he was convinced that it represented something cult-like. All right, so here's the danger, is that we can flaunt our freedom to worship as we do. And when we do, there is a weaker believer, a brand-new Christian who may walk in here and think, uh, Jerry seems a little disrespectful to dress like that. I could press the issue, flaunt our freedom, trip up a young believer. I'm not talking about a seasoned, uh, self-righteous hypocrite. I'm talking about a young believer. And I could trip that young believer up. So, the way I dress. How about the way our music is played. Uh, We don't have a choir. We have a band. uh, Sometimes they're loud. uh, We don't sing all hymns. We uh, have music on a screen. There are all of these things. Uh, It will shock you to hear that as we moved to East Marion Baptist Church, a church in the neighborhood began prayer services that we would fail. legitimately did two reasons the style of music we bring and the version of bible from which we read there are two reasons to begin to pray that we would not succeed is it right i told you you'd be listening by the time we got finished is it right To love those people. That was weak. Is it right to love those people? Amen. Love is always right. Always. Love is always right, Paul says. Love builds up. Knowledge puffs up. Love is always right because love builds up. He says in verse 3, uh, or verse 2, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Here's the danger we face at Grace Community Church. We can have this reverse arrogance that we have the edge on how to do church, the edge on how to do it right, the edge on we've got this freedom, we have this knowledge, and look what we can do and how we can do it. And that is puffed up knowledge that will lead to pride, which will lead to the downfall of this church. We do not have the edge. We do not know what we're doing most of the time. We struggle. We fall all over ourselves. We miss it. We make mistakes. We so don't know God like we want to know him. We so want more of him. We so want to see his glory when we sing his songs. There's so much we're missing. Amen? We need him. We don't know what we need to know. We don't. That's what verse 2 says. So there's no assumption here that we have figured it all out. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Love is always right because love builds up. Secondly, love is always right because love comes down. Verse 3 is huge. Verse 3 is huge in, in helping us get this. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Do you know what that means? That if you love God in this room, it is because he what you first? He loved you first. If you love God in this room, it is only because he loved you first. You were not born loving him. You did not come screaming into this world with this great love for God. Verse 3 says, God loved you first. And since God loved you first, you can have a relationship with him. Love is always right because love comes down. Love builds up and love comes down. This is absolutely critical. J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, great read. I remember reading this for the first time, and when I read this quote for the first time, I couldn't get it out of my heart. I couldn't get it out of my mind, so I want to share it for you. I think it'll be on the screen. He says, but what matters supremely is not, in the last analysis, the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands, I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there is not a moment when his eyes off me or his attention distracted from me and no moment, therefore, when his care falters wow the only way that I can know an awesome creator God is because when I was 15 years old on a Tuesday night in a, in, in a revival service at Zion Hill Baptist Church when uh, the preacher was preaching that night for the first time in my life, I realized though I had gone to church every morning, every night on Sundays and every Wednesday night and to every revival service and heard my dad preach numbers of of sermons for the first time that night a loving God said I want to know you and I remember sitting on row two of that place when that preacher was preaching and the conviction of the spirit came over me and I thought when will he finish because I've got to get to that altar as a 15 year old boy and give my life to that God who for some reason now is reaching out to me And the only way I've been able to know him is because since I was 15, he has sustained his desire to know me. He knows me. He wants to know me. He wants a relationship with me. And my knowing him is completely dependent on his initiative. Completely. Love is always right because love comes down. From a God who condescends to my level to get to know me, who sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cruel cross, my death for my sins, raised from the dead, and even now in his exalted position is interceding for me. God knows me. Wow. Love is always right because love builds up. Love is always right because love comes down. God is a coming down kind of God. Amen? Do you know how hard it is for me to sit on this seat right now? He is a coming down kind of God. He is a God who comes down where we are and loves us as we are, but loves us too much to leave us the way we are. What a God we serve. Do you know what? I could say all day long, I know Billy Graham. And the reality is, if I saw him, I would recognize him along with the rest of the world. But Billy Graham has no clue who I am. No clue. The only way I will ever know Billy Graham is if Billy Graham wants to know me. That's the only way. And so it is with God. The only way I will ever know him is because he wants to know me. Love is always right because love builds up. Love is always right because love comes down. Yesterday I went to P.G. Baptist to, uh, to speak to Virginia K. Allen and to be there As a fellow pastor, I was standing in a very long line, which wasn't good for me, I discovered, but I was standing in a very long line, and I spoke to the guy behind me. I knew him, and I didn't know if he knew me, but since I knew him, I called his name, Bill Wiseman, and I said, how are you, Bill, and Bill began to talk to me. I had no clue if he knew me or not. And he began to talk about their new pastor. And he said, it's amazing, this new pastor we have. I said, well, tell me about him. (laughs) And for those of you who don't know, he was just on staff here for seven years. He said, you know, he stepped right in and And he said, we had this Q&A time and and he said, he he got up on the stage and he answered all these questions and the next morning he was going to do a trial sermon. And I got in my car that night and left and looked at my wife and said, you know, I know tomorrow's the trial sermon, but he already has my vote. And she said, and he has mine too. And he said, he has stepped right in and all of this that's going on with us. And he has loved us and pastored us. He said, if you had heard him Wednesday night as we all gathered, and you would have heard him minister to us, and, and, and God use him in that room as we all came together, it would just blow your mind. And he said, I thought, how could a 31-year-old kid do this? Bill's 83. How could a 31-year-old kid do this? And I nodded and said yes, and said I was glad, having no clue if he knew who I was. So, as I was just walking through the line, a number of people stood in line for an hour and a half. A number of people came up to me, said, Oh, Jerry, Josh, this. And Josh, that was so wonderful to hear. And finally, Bill tapped me on the shoulder and he said, I know who you are now. (laughs) (laughs) I said, Yeah. He said, Why didn't you say something? I said, I don't know, Bill. I don't know. The reality was that I knew Bill, but Bill didn't know me. And uh, there was a disconnect. And then Bill said, uh, he said, uh, I got to tell you something. I said, what is it, Bill? Uh, He said, I went to church. Until I was in my 30s, I, my business, sponsored a pastor on the radio. And one night on a Thursday night at a revival service, I had gone for four nights and the the evangelist was making me mad and mad every night. And on the fourth night, I told my wife I wasn't going and she said, You are. And that night I went and I got saved. He said, here I was doing all of this and I thought I knew God and I didn't have a clue who he was. He said, can you believe everything I did for him as a lost man? Bill is making Paul's point in verse three. The only way you know God is if he reaches out to you and says, I want to know you. Love is always right because love builds up. Love is always right because love comes down. Let's keep reading. Verse 5 says, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed, there are many gods and quotes and lords and quotes, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist, in a simple, succinct way, Paul says, "God is the goal of our existence, and Jesus is the means of our existence. God is the goal, and Jesus is the means." We live for God and we live through Christ. Wow, that'll preach. We live for God and we live through Christ. God is our goal. Jesus is our means. Love is always right because love builds up. Love is always right because love came down in Christ. Christ became our means to love and to know God. And for God to love and to know us. John says it this way, 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Wow. Love is always right because love uh, builds up. Love is always right because love comes down. Thirdly, love is always right because love looks around. Let's see how love looks around. I love this. However, Verse 7, not all possess this knowledge. There are some new believers in Corinth that are spooked by the food, the meat offered to idols. Uh, How so? Some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. When they eat that meat that is offered to an idol, it trips them up. And to them, it gives them a guilty conscience. If you can eat that meat, well, there it goes. If you can eat that meat offered to an idol, if you can do that, then... What if that person, Paul will address very specifically later, comes to your house for dinner? Should you serve that meat? What do you think? Yes or no, church? No. Paul will say no. Don't do it. Why? Love looks around. Love says there's a weaker brother. So let me talk about another gray area. All right? And some of you will disagree on even if this is a gray area. A lot to talk about as you go home today from church. All right. I do not believe that Scripture teaches that it is a sin to drink alcohol. Pepsi, yes. (laughs) Can't beat a Coke in a glass bottle. All right? But I do not believe That scripture teaches it is a sin to drink alcohol. Some of you do. Some of you in this room do. I never drink alcohol. Ever. I don't touch it. Why? Because I look around the room and there are some of you who, if you touched it, it would be the beginning of the end for you. I know that. And guess what? Going the rest of my life without a drink of wine or any other alcohol is a small thing I can do to say, I want you to finish well. Amen? So if you, you drink alcohol, and that person's coming over for dinner. Should you serve it? No. Oh, but Jerry, that's, that's being a hypocrite. <laughs> no, it isn't. You can be real about it. No, you shouldn't. Love looks around. Paul says, verse 8, food will not commend us to God. All right, he's saying this food that you offer to these gods doesn't work for the one true God. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. So food in and of itself is not going to help you worship, he says, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block for the weak. Take care. That this right that I have to sit here and wear blue jeans as I preach and an untucked shirt does not become a stumbling block for one who can't handle it. Take care that this right that I have to read out of a Bible other than the King James does not become a stumbling block for someone who can not handle it verse 10 for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols meaning to return to idolatry to return to his old way of life the last thing we would ever want anybody to do is to fall into any kind of sin that would trip them up Love looks around, and love says I don't want anybody to fall into any kind of sin that could trip them up. So if I curtail my lifestyle to protect somebody else, that is because the love that has built me up, the love that has came down flows out of me and looks around, and I will do that very thing. Love looks around. Verse 11, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is, strong word, destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. You should underline that. The brother for whom Christ died. How valuable are we to one another? Look around. Just feel free right now. Look around the room. Look around the room. Christ died for the person to your right and to your left. How much do they matter? Christ died for him. Christ died for her. You ought to treat that person with that kind of value and that kind of respect. Love looks around. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, ooh, you sin against Christ. Wow. If there is a sin that we at this church are in danger of committing, it is this. It is this. That we flaunt our freedom, that we flaunt our methods, that we flaunt our, 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 our rights, and so sin against those for whom Christ died. Now, let me give a qualification. There are those people who are self righteous, who are puffed up with their legalistic knowledge. They are not a weaker brother. They're a pouncing Pharisee. This is not about them. This is about the numbers of people who attend this church who are fighting against hell and Satan's demons not to fall back into the sin that they came to Christ in. We love those people, amen? amen? And we do not want them to trip up and stumble. That's what it's about. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother Stumble. Last year, I shared with you that a young man kind of fell into our world as a church. It was the oddest of circumstances. He was a student in Dubai, and in Dubai, he met an exchange student who had lived in Marion, of all places. So he met this exchange student. This young man was a a student in Dubai coming to the United States to be a student. And when he did, he ended up in Marion, staying right across the street with Ron Bergen. And Ron, this young man, his name is Muhammad, devout Muslim, wanted to come to church. So he came across the street to grace. He had never been to a Christian church in his life. He has an app on his phone that alerts him the five times a day he is to pray. He devoutly follows Islam. He is from Palestine. You may recall that last year was when all the bombing was going on in Gaza. His house was one of the ones that was devastated. His mom, his dad, and all his brothers fled for their lives. He here came right down there and met me his first day here. The next Sunday or the next week, we went to lunch I just wanted to meet him, get to know him, figure out what talking about and the very next Sunday he was back here in church again. He came up to talk to me again. I said, "What are you doing back here?" You see, over lunch, he had made it clear that he was convinced that Islam was right and everything else was wrong. And I had made it clear that I was convinced that Christianity is right and everything else is wrong. And I was grateful that we had come to that. At least he didn't think everything was okay. So we had some ground to work from. But here he was back again. I said, what are you doing back here again? He said, I don't know. I just wanted to come. I really like it. And I thought, God, you're working on this kid. Well, we got together again. And then he left to go up to Virginia to college. And when we talked the second time, he said, my mom isn't too happy with me. Why? Because I went to a Christian church twice. She said, why are you doing that? I said, mom, I can't explain it. But there's something about it that I want to be there. So he goes to this college and he texts me. And he is so homesick that he can't stand it. And he is about to drop out. And he is his only, he is his family's only hope. He is his family's only hope. And so I'm on the phone with him, and then I call him. I say, Muhammad, you cannot drop out. And so we, we engage in this relationship back and forth. You can't do it. You've got to stay the course. He calls, he books his flight out of the country, and then he calls me back. I said, Muhammad, you cannot do this. You are so close. If you can get through this weekend, you will make it. I promise you, been there, been through it. You'll get through the homesickness. You'll battle through this. And sure enough, he did Finished on the dean's list, almost a 4.0 his first year at, his, at this college in Virginia. And so uh, he comes in for spring break. We spend some time together. He leaves, and he says he's going to Alaska. Like, why are you going to Alaska? You've seen more of the country than I have. And so I, so I was thinking about him. Last week, I sent him a text, and I said, Muhammad, where are you? Are you okay? And he sends me a text back. And, and this is last, I think maybe last Wednesday, and he sends me a text back and he says, I'm fine, I'm in Alaska, I'm working for Aramark, this is my summer job, and uh, this is his way of, uh, of just, he wants to be in business and this is what he's doing. then an hour later, no, a day later, I get this picture from him. All right? Now, an hour later, I get this picture. So there are some people in this picture who are in the room. Would you stand up? (laughs) There they are. All right? And he says underneath in a text, do you recognize anyone? (laughs) What in the world? I texted back, I said, what is going on? Where are you? He said, I'm in Alaska. So they get home. Jamie calls me. I said, Jamie, what happened? He said, they're vacationing in Alaska. He said, we walk into this shop, and I understand that Larry would talk to anybody. He said, we walk into this shop, and there stands this kid, and Larry says, where are you from? And he says, I'm from Palestine, where are you from? And Larry says, I think, North Carolina. And he says, oh, I know people in North Carolina. He says, I've been to Asheville, which is what we all say, because nobody knows where Old is, right? And he said, I've been to Asheville. And Larry says, uh, or Larry, according to Jamie, Larry doesn't say anything. And then he says, well, actually, Marion. And Larry went, what? We're from Marion. And he said, well, I know a pastor in Marion. His name is Jerry Lewis. (laughs) All right, so why am I telling you this? Two reasons. Number one, I think Muhammad is going to get saved. Larry shared the gospel with him in Alaska. Isn't that awesome? In Alaska. And God is so burdened, Larry, that tears are coming down his face right now for Muhammad. Awesome. But let's say if he does, and I so want him to come to Christ, and he comes to my house, do you think first meal, we should have bacon? Yes or no? That's my sermon. You guys have a great rest of your day. God bless you.